Good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you all here today, and thank you very much for coming out to be with us, and also to those of us of you who are joining us online. My name is Pip, and it's my privilege to share God's Word with you today, and I really hope that all of us will be encouraged and, and challenged through what is going to be said today. I wonder, do you know what every world religion has in common? Well, one of the, the answers to that question would be opposition. Every belief system, every ideology, every religion will have its opponents. And that is very, very true of Christianity. The church has faced opposition right from its outset, and it will continue to face opposition until Jesus Christ returns. And that's a revelation that shouldn't shock us because Jesus has told us it's going to be this way. For instance, in John chapter 15, Jesus, when he was saying, now not everybody in the world opposes us, but when he was speaking about those who do, he said this, if people hate you, remember that they hated me first. They persecuted me, so they will persecute you. And then he said something very, very interesting. Jesus said, they, those who persecute, will treat you this way because of my name. Friends, the world that we live in might hate some of the biblical principles that we stand for, but ultimately those who oppose us do so because of who we believe in and who we follow, Jesus Christ. They will treat you this way because of my name. If Jesus Christ was despised and rejected by many, so will we be if we desire to authentically follow him. If you have a, a Bible with you, we're going to read from Acts chapter 4. As we continue on our, our, our series in Acts, this whole topic of opposition is hugely, hugely important to us. Because actually, the very mission statement of this church is one that will not only guarantee us incredible untold blessing, it will also guarantee us opposition. The first part of our mission statement says that we seek to be a growing community centered upon Jesus Christ. That mission statement will guarantee us opposition because it's centered upon Jesus they will treat you this way because of my name. Acts chapter 4, and we'll, we'll start reading it from verse 1 through to verse 12. This is the inspired and the authoritative word of God. Now as they, Peter and John, spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple and Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many as of the family of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. 
And when they had set Peter and John in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? That was the healing of the, the man at the gate called Beautiful. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his, him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is only one name given under heaven by which men must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. Amen. And we know God will add his blessing to this reading from his word. What a, a journey we've been on already through this incredible book of Acts. Jesus chose his dream team and then he promised them power for a global call. At Pentecost we saw an unprecedented outpouring of power. And following Peter's first sermon, 3,000 men were saved. Then a lame man at the gate called Beautiful is healed. And the astonished crowds run to see what has happened. Peter preaches his second sermon and thousands more men are saved. Now, Acts only gives the record of men. If we were to add women and children to this, we might see a figure of between eight and ten, maybe more, thousand people who were saved. After two sermons... Folks, could that level of impact ever happen again? Absolutely it could. In 1859, during the revival in this land, 100,000 people were saved. Could that level of impact ever happen again? Absolutely it could. Look at what is happening in our church in these days. But what if this was all to move to a dramatic new level. I tell you, we are trusting for that. We believe that what we're seeing here is only the tip of the iceberg in terms of what plans God has to prosper this church with. This was astonishing growth in Acts, but the honeymoon period was short-lived because the opposition Jesus promised his church showed up quickly. Where there is blessing, there will be a battle. And this new church, at least at best only weeks old, was no longer a novelty. With its exponential growth, it had very quickly become a major threat to the Jewish system. Friends, when you and I seek to live effective lives for Jesus Christ, people will notice, but not everybody will be happy. Look what happened to Peter and John. It says, as they were speaking, the priests, men who were set apart for service, who officiated at temple sacrifices, the captain of the, the temple guard who, who, who policed the temple, the Sadducees, that powerful and the main wealthy group who occupied most of the seats on the Sanhedrin and, and controlled temple operations, the Bible says they came upon the disciples and there's urgency there is urgency in the original language. Why? Because it says they were greatly disturbed. 
Now that word disturbed is a very powerful word. It's actually only used one other time in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16 when Paul was greatly disturbed and annoyed. A strong word. These guys were profoundly agitated. Why? Well, for a number of reasons. Firstly, the disciples were teaching people. And these men felt that their authority as teachers was being usurped. They were terrified of losing power, especially the people who in their eyes were uneducated, ignorant Galileans. But secondly, it was what they taught that agitated them most. They preached in Christ the resurrection from the dead. John 15, they will treat you this way because of my name. They preached Christ's resurrection and this troubled them. Sadducees did not believe in resurrection and it is teaching on the resurrection, folks, that changes everything. The cross that Jesus died on is a historical fact, but teaching on the resurrection changes everything. So to curb this new movement, they put the leaders in custody. But one of the most amazing things about this story is that their attempt to oppose this new movement failed miserably. In verse 4, we read that it says, in spite of what happened to Peter and John, thousands more people got saved. And, and this was a, a pattern when you read through the book of Acts, and we would encourage you to do that as we go through the series, to read through this book of Acts on a number of occasions if you can. And nearly in every chapter of Acts, we read of accounts of persecution on the church, first by the Jews and, and later by the Romans. But when we read Acts, we also see how Luke punctuates the text with these little update reports about what God is doing in, in the, the church to help let us see that in spite of the opposition, the church was still growing. For those who are taking notes, I'll just give you some of those references. Acts 6 verse 7, Luke writes, the number of disciples multiplied greatly. 9 verse 31, the church multiplied 12 verse 24, the word of God grew and multiplied. 16 verse 5, the church increased in number daily. 19 verse 20, the word of God grew mightily. And this continues to be the case today, folks. In places where the church faces extreme opposition, the church continues to grow. Because Jesus Christ has said this, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Where there is blessing, there will be a battle. And whilst there's always going to be indifference towards the gospel, folks, in the midst of indifference, there is the treasure of changed lives. There's the treasure of hearts that will open up to God. And that is the treasure that you and I must seek after with everything in us, no matter what opposition comes our way. And all down through the ages, friends, the church has faced opposition. And ultimately, opposition comes from Satan. The name Satan means adversary. And he is our enemy, and we need to acknowledge that today and expose him. He hates Jesus. He hates the church. He hates the gospel, and he'll do anything to try and stop the spread of the gospel. And there are different ways in which Satan will set himself up against the church and inspire opposition to her. 
I remember years ago in Crown Jesus, we were taking a mission in Carrick Fergus. And in Carrick, there, it was a large, large witch's coven. And we had booked out a community center to hold an event in. And we didn't realize that the witch's coven actually met in this particular center. And when we turned up for the, the first night of the mission, we were told that there were witches in the car park. Like, get out of our heads, the idea of black pointy hats, just normal looking people, but witches in the car park praying to Satan against the mission. There were witches in the meeting praying to Satan against the mission. But who here knows that there's power in the name of Jesus, much more power in the name of Jesus, and it was wonderful to go into the enemy's backyard and see people saved in that meeting. Because Jesus Christ has said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Actually, later in that mission, another man came to faith who had been part of that witch's coven. And he told us and said, witches will regularly go into churches throughout Carrick Fergus and pray during services against what is happening. I've heard of similar strategies in churches on Armagh and in other parts of the country. Now, this shouldn't scare us because we're on the victory team, but it should move us to prayer. It's the sort of thing that should fill our Friday prayer meetings that we take seriously the battle that we are in. Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Satan also uses different people in different arenas to oppose the church. He uses those in secular society who do not share our beliefs to stand in opposition against us. Again, I remember helping lead a, a town-wide evangelistic campaign in Ballymena. Nearly 30 churches involved, a five-month program. Again, people saved, and we thank God for it. But one of the leading figures in the education department said to me, he said, Pip, every year, atheists and humanists regularly attack, aggressively attack, that word's important, we'll come back to it, aggressively attack the education department to get religious education taken off the curriculum. And what he said was they're getting closer and they're getting closer and they're getting closer and they will not stop until they get exactly what they want. This was 10 years ago. Again, it's the sort of revelation that should move us to prayer. It should fill our prayer meetings because we want to take seriously the battle that we were in or were in. When he said aggressively attack, I just wanted to make note of this. Liberalism, secularism can often have this guise of being peaceful. But folks, if we stand up against a liberal agenda, we will see its teeth gnash as we're branded as intolerant bigots. But folks, Jesus Christ is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, admittedly, the social opposition that we face is subtle. It's not the horrific militant opposition that many of our brothers and sisters face around the world today. And whilst we rightly thank God for our freedom, freedom can often hinder our progress, folks, and encourage apathy and compromise in our lives. Is it not strange that in the West, Christianity seems to crumble more under subtle social opposition 
than it does in parts of the world where it can lead to death to be a Christian. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that we should want to live in conditions like that, but I do think a time's going to come where we will see Christians finding themselves being more and more shunned in the workplace, alienated from certain groups and jobs and branded as bigots. How long is it going to be, friends, before the first Christian leader will go to prison because of their, their stance on biblical truth? The pressure as we go on from society for us to privatize our faith and make our message more palatable to society will increase. Society will want our good works, but not our Savior. Folks, we must never, ever let the fear of man bring a snare to us and always do our social action in the mighty name of Jesus because he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but there will be social consequences for that conviction. In the midst of indifference, there's treasure. Satan also uses religious opposition to hold us back, just like he, he did in the story that we, we read today. And this is important. We're aware of religious fundamentalism and how many Christians are imprisoned around the world, persecuted and martyred for their faith. But there is also in-house religious opposition that can be used and it can be so hurtful and it can be so destructive. How many people do you know who have stopped going to church because someone hurt them, a Christian hurt them? Now, sometimes that can be an excuse, but often it is sadly true. I remember helping lead a, a mission in a town that the 1859 revival had bypassed because of division amongst the churches. And 150 years on, still the churches didn't work together. We were burdened about that and prayerfully approached the, the ministers and got most of the churches on town and the town on board. But one minister looked at us and said, I am diametrically opposed to everything you stand for. And whilst I tried to work out what diametrically opposed meant, <laughs> I discerned that he didn't really like us. <laughs> there was another church took a two-page spread in the local newspaper, slamming the mission. It was the best advertising we got because the meetings were packed. People were saved because there's power in the name of Jesus and he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I remember working with a church where the minister saw me as a troubleshooter. Can you imagine that, seeing me as a troubleshooter? To sort out all of the problems as his church was losing its biblical focus. The clerk of session, a key elder, hated me because I preached the word of God and the gospel. He wasn't saved. And just as an aside, can I say this? Thank God that all our leadership team, the session in this church, are Christian men. That might sound a strange thing to say, but it's not. Because sadly, there are many churches in this country where the same cannot be said for them. I know a minister in East Belfast, thankfully he's retired now. And he would openly have said from his pulpit that he was not a born-again Christian. God help him. God help him. Don't take for granted, folks, what we have here in this church. 
And the, the minister of this church, he, he, he got me to chair a, a church meeting. I'll never do it again. I'll never be put in that situation again. And I walked in, there were around 200 people facing the front, an arc of chairs for the, the elders, and I'm put in the middle, in the bear pit. <laughs> the clerk of session had planted people in the audience to hurl abuse. And as I warned them about the downward spiral they were on towards liberalism, where anything would go, and that they needed to build their church upon biblical values and biblical principles, a man got in my face with demonic anger. He says, who do you think you are? Coming here telling us how to run our church. Religious opposition. And folks, we're trusting for revival in this land, aren't we? It's on our heart. It's in the heart of this church and the vision of it. But make no doubts about it. Where there is blessing, there will be a battle and religious opposition. Sadly, there will be churches who will stand on the outside of revival and picket it and say that it's from the pit of hell. Even when miracles happen that cannot be attested, like we saw in this story, the leaders couldn't deny the miracle that had happened. People will stand against us, but folks, Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So how can we land these thoughts here today? How can we respond in the face of opposition? Well, let's look at our our scripture and learn from the disciples. And I want to do this by using a word that is one of the core values of this church. And that word is courage. Firstly, we must respond to opposition by courageously and respectfully standing for truth. I find it interesting that Peter and John didn't offer any resistance. They respectfully offered no resistance to what happened to them. They didn't rally the 10,000 new Christians with a militant call to take up arms. They gave no resistance. And on this occasion... Opposition led to opportunity. And they got to share the gospel to the whole of the Sanhedrin. How else would these ordinary people have got to stand before an august body such as that? They offered no resistance. Now that does not mean, of course, that you and I should never, or should passively never do anything in the face of opposition. When the vote, and I say when, when the vote on abortion laws, for instance, in this land come about, Every one of us who loves God should sign the petitions and we should make sure that we cast our votes. We need to pray as well for all of those Christian agencies who lobby government on our behalf. The church needs to have its voice in the public square. But there is an example being set here, I think. Don't forget a few weeks earlier than this, Peter tried to hack somebody's ear off. There's an example here, which is this. Do not respond to opposition with hatred. When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed for his persecutors. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Always remember, those who oppose us are also our mission field. People who could come to Christ and be powerfully used by him. Remember Saul, who became Paul. The rest was history. The disciples, they were also respectful by giving those who arrested them their titles. In verse 8, Peter says, rulers of the people, elders of Israel. He didn't show contempt for the court. He spoke in a language that they understood and kept his integrity intact. But 
Whilst being respectful, he also, they also courageously and boldly did not compromise the truth that they believed in. They stuck their ground and they explained the gospel to these people, even though it involved the implication of Jewish leaders as being the ones who murdered Jesus. Essentially, they were saying to them, Jesus, you're Messiah, you're Messiah, you killed him. For this, they could have been charged with the, the dire consequences of blasphemy. The stone you rejected. They didn't pull any punches, did they? And once again, in, in front of an audience in the main, didn't believe in resurrection. They declared that God raised Jesus from the dead. They also boldly declared the gospel's exclusiveness. They said, there's only one name given under heaven by which we can be saved. The very name that had caused their predicament. That was the name that they courageously exalted in the face of opposition. Romans 1.16 says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God under the salvation of those who believe. And do you know what, friends? The more pluralistic our society becomes, the more we will feel the weight to water down the exclusiveness of Jesus and the purity of the gospel. We must never do such a thing. Yes, we must respectfully and courageously uh, respect what goes on, but we must never, ever compromise our message. When we think about what God has done for us, think about it, how he has pulled us up out of the mud and the mire of our sin and set our feet upon a rock. How can we not, as the disciples later in this chapter, it says, how can we not but speak of him and the things that he has done? There should be this compelling in our heart when we understand what he's done. We cannot keep silent. God, give us the courage to be those people. <laughs> people can malign us. They can alienate us. They can throw us in prison or whatever. But one thing they can't do is stop us speaking truth. In the midst of indifference, there's treasure. That's what we seek after as a church. So firstly, we stand on truth. And then secondly, we courageously keep in step with the Spirit. Our response to opposition must never be static. You see the movement there? We stand on truth and we keep in step with the Spirit. In verse 8, Peter stood and filled with the Holy Spirit. He spoke. Now, to be filled with the Spirit, as we shared in recent weeks, means that we yield to God and let Him take control of our lives. And, and throughout the book of Acts, the disciples were filled in many, many different ways occasions. At Pentecost they were filled. In today's story they were filled. At the end of this chapter in verse 31, they were filled with the Spirit again. And you and I continually need to be filled with the Spirit, just like it exhorts us in Ephesians 5, 16. And this is an essential part of us walking in the Spirit, where we walk under His power, under His control and guidance. And in the context of opposition, this is hugely important too. In Matthew 10, 19, Jesus said that when people come against us, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak and he will strengthen us. And also as a church not committed to not watering down the message of Jesus Christ, we need to be filled. This is important. Luke, in nearly every time in the, in the Gospel of Luke and in Acts where he mentions being filled with the Holy Spirit, we read there of boldness to preach God's word. Let me give you a few examples in the chapters we've just looked at. Acts 2.4, they were filled with the Spirit and spoke. 
in other tongues. Acts 4, 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Acts 4, 31, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke God's word with boldness. These disciples, their lives were on the line, but they stood their ground, declared truth and kept in step with the Spirit as he led them on. And folks, what a journey we're on. Hear this, please. If we can courageously keep in step with the Holy Spirit, he's going to take us as a fellowship to places we could never have dreamed of. He's going to do things through this fellowship that that are just so remarkable. He's going to give us boldness to speak of Jesus no matter what season we're in, no matter what opposition we come up against. And it's going to be a most remarkable journey for us, but we need to be filled every day so that we're strengthened and emboldened. So firstly, we stand on truth. Secondly, we keep in step with the Spirit. And thirdly, this is so important, we must courageously run this race together. We must courageously run this race together. Later in this chapter, it says in verse 32, that the believers were of one heart and one soul. They had all things in common. That togetherness was fundamentally important to helping them stand against opposition. I said, what a journey we're on as a church. And we want us all to run this race together. But you need to know that as we run together as a church, we want to be at the forefront and cutting edge of social action and meeting it in the name of Jesus. You also need to know that as a church, we will always stand true on the word of God and declare with authority the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're always going to seek the fullness of God's Holy Spirit and courageously go where he leads us. And as we run together, we also need to be aware that this very call of God upon us will bring untold blessing but also opposition. We're not going to go looking for opposition, but Jesus has promised that they will do these things to you because of my name. Society's going to speak out and try to negate our voice, but we will respectfully turn the volume up. Some religious people will hate us for what we do, and you will hear some of that negative talk. You will hear people slamming what God is doing in this church. Some of that will be spiritual jealousy, but others will think that this is not of God. We must courageously keep running this race together because Jesus is going to build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We must honor one another. We must speak well of one another in here and not in here. We must honor the leadership of this church. Do not entertain negative talk about the leadership. And I'm saying this because we are the only people who can give a devil a foothold in this church. And we need to stay tight and together and strong, united and and focused. Don't entertain negative talk about the leadership of this church that loves you and passionately wants to serve you. Don't entertain negative talk about the leader that God has given us in this church as well. We honor Malcolm Duncan. I honestly believe that's one of our greatest roles and ministries as pastors in this church. And for all of us that we honor Malcolm and the vision that God has put in his heart. And we don't get in the way. As the church grows, we don't start to 
stick up our head, oh, I'd like some power, position and prestige. That'll be the ruination of it all, folks. We need to keep strong and focused and be a church that, that washes each other's feet, that serves one another, that loves one another and keeps our unity tight and together especially when opposition comes, that we stand strong, that we keep in step with the Spirit and that we courageously keep running together and not give the devil a foothold. A few weeks ago, as the worship team comes up onto the stage, many people came to the front of this church and and knelt and said yes to Jesus That was a huge moment. As a leadership team, as we have prayed about that and reflected upon that, it was a significant moment. Now, there's been many things that God has been powerfully doing over the last number of months for us, but that was a significant and a united moment. It is incredible what God is doing, but it was almost like that night we saw it's not two or three people who are hungry because most of the church was at the front of this place on their knees before God. There is a corporate hunger. There's a corporate awakening taking place in this church and it's God because it can't be manufactured. It can't be stirred up. God is doing something significant in our midst. But as we continue to move into the story God is unfolding here, friends, let us not be a people who are only content to kneel at the front of a church together, important as that is. But let's be a church who takes hold of God and everything that he has for us as we courageously stand on his truth, courageously keep in step with the Spirit and courageously run this race together. Just before we come into communion, I'll finish with one story. It's the... After the London Blitz, it was Winston Churchill, and he, he went and made a lot of very famous speeches, but he spoke at Harrow School. And one of the most famous bits of that story, at that real t- terrible time in this nation's history, was when he stood and he said this, never give up, never give up, never, ever, ever give up. And there's something of that that we need in our spirits, that God would put that courage within us. That no matter what we face, and no matter what season of life we are in, we will never, ever, 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 ever give up on Jesus Christ, the power of this gospel, the beauty of its message, and the corporate call that he has on our lives. Amen.